once verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Greetings, Captains. You're listening to episode 271 of Priority One Podcast, your weekly report on all things Star Trek, available for download or streaming on Monday, May 23rd at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Kenna. And as always in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Winters. Gee, which I'll give fall to Ruth. So, Kenna, what's coming up this week? Well, this week we're trekking out the origin of the Klingon language, and we're also looking at a new device that promises to be a real-life universal translator. In Star Trek Online news, we're getting you caught up on the latest events, and executive producer Steve Ricosa, a.k.a. Salami Inferno, joins us to talk about the console launch, agents of yesterday, and more. Later, our science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt, brings us the latest report from the Astrometrics Lab. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, don't forget to keep the conversation going with us at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast or on Twitter at Priority One Pod. Or just shoot us an email with your questions, concerns, comments, advice, opinions to incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. And finally, thanks again to all our Patreon supporters who make this show possible from week to week. Visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one and find out about all the cool perks we have to offer. Now let's check out some of the latest news in the world of Star Trek. I don't know. Then let's check it out. In a clip published last week on the BBC website, reporter Roger Hearing conducted an interview in Klingon with the language's developer, Mark Okrand. Well, okay, strictly speaking, it wasn't entirely in Klingon, but they did have a go. So Klingon has been in the news recently because it's one of the elements of Star Trek that CBS and Paramount claim that the found film Axanar has infringed upon. But many fans and even outside groups like the Language Creation Society insist that a language cannot be claimed to be intellectual property, regardless of whether it's a natural language or a constructed one. Oakland provided some insight into the history of the language. It originally appeared in Star Trek The Motion Picture as just a handful of lines made up by James Doohan. Then it was producer Harv Bennett's idea to flesh it out into an actual language for Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. Okrand, who'd previously worked on bringing the Vulcan language to the screen, was brought in. In the BBC interview, Okrand says that the language was deliberately designed not to resemble any Earth languages. At the time, Klingons were only known as villains, and he didn't want to risk offending anyone by basing Klingon off of any one culture's native tongue. He did say, however, that Klingon is easy to speak once you know the basic structure, and very important, it's not a pretend language. Quote, Klingon is a true language, end quote. If I'm not mistaken, it is. It is built with the same foundational structure that can be found in any language. It's a fully fleshed out language. Uh, I mean, you have books, actually two books, if I'm not mistaken, uh, conversational Klingon and then, and then the Klingon dictionary. So you can learn it. It's a, it's, a, it's a legit language. Now, my 
my question really is not about the validity of whether or not Klingon is an actual language or not, because it is, but more so, there are other languages that have been created for fictional universes, like Elvish, uh, or, you know, Vulcan, again, was, was brought up, and I don't think Vulcan is even as fleshed out as Klingon. So, what about Elvish, though? Elvish is a fleshed out language, is it not? Yep. The Tolkien... Elvish. So what is that? Does that fall under intellectual property or is that like, how does, how does that work? Is there ever a problem for something like that? Well, I don't know. I don't know why you're asking me, (laughs) but no, I, I think this is an interesting question. I think it's part of why this whole Klingon language thing has been in the news because it it does raise the question. Now, can copyright a language? Yeah. Can anyone own a language? Because, okay, surely, you know, the Star Trek franchise came up with Klingon, but outside of the films, it's really been developed by independent, uh, they call them conlangers, I think. Uh, basically, uh, language constructors, people who create constructed languages. It's been taken on by fans or people who just have an interest in linguistics and fleshed it out into a, into a full language that, you know, that goes beyond what whoever it was that owned the IP at the time had intended. But certainly they started it. So does that negate everything that anyone's done since then? And what are you going to do? Stop them from talking? Like, you're forbidden to talk. You, yeah, you can't. No, or you have to You have to pay, like, in a in a swear jar. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, somebody's walking around at a Star Trek What's convention <laughs> listening for people to say a word in Klingon. You said, come ah! Excuse me. Sorry. That's $2. A dollar. $2. Put it in. No. You get a fine. Here's your, here's your little pink slip. Yeah. So, I mean, I think in concept, it, it technically was created as part of the Star Trek IP, but I don't, in, in practice, I don't think that's something that you can legislate. I just don't think it is. So that brings us to this week's community question. What do you think? Should CBS and Paramount be able to claim copyright for the Klingon language? And for you Tolkien fans out there, what can you tell me about Elvish? I know something about Elvish. What? It's left the building. Elvish has left the building. In technology news, a company called Waverly Labs has created a device that could be a real-life version of Star Trek's Universal Translator, or at least a global translator. Basically, it's a set of earbuds, one for you and one for a friend. You speak into a smartphone, and it translates what is said for the other person, to the listener. There's a pretty nifty video on how it works, and and to be honest, it's kind of cool. It really is. The downside is that Waverly Labs doesn't quite seem to exist yet. There's a website and the promise of an Indiegogo campaign, which is due to start next week. But as with all crowdfunded inventions, there's always a risk of quote-unquote vaporware. And there are campaigns that fail to follow through. Not to mention the hefty price tag of $250 to $300 retail. So let's just say it might be a while before we're all wearing them. Now, interestingly enough, is that Google Translate kind of does this already for you on the fly, and it'll help you translate. You can speak into your phone, and Google Translate will will speak it in the language that you want it to be spoken into. So 
this is a novel idea. I, you know, I just, I, I hope it works. I really do because it, it's the video looks slick, and what bothers me is that you have to share the earbuds. You know, like yeah, ooh, I don't, I don't, hygiene. Is, I know. Where's the hygiene there? I'm a little concerned about that. Uh, I personally think I don't like this. <laughs> Why not? Because I like languages, I like different languages, and I think the idea of a universal translator is pretty sad. What are you talking about? How many languages can you speak? One. So imagine, imagine, if you will, you are taking a vacation in China, and suddenly you lose internet. And you call the front desk, and you're trying to figure out why suddenly you no longer have internet. And all you can hear is password number. And you have no idea what they mean by that. Boy, do I wish I had a universal translator when I was in China and couldn't figure out why I couldn't connect to the internet. Oh, is this, is this something that actually happened to you? Yes. Oh, fine. Yes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking this is a purely hypothetical situation. No. It doesn't sound no, that bad. No. Well, no. I... The thing is, especially especially in a country like China. Okay, to be fair, I'm I'm an adventurous traveler. I don't have to travel for work, so that basically, if that were to happen to me, I'd be like, hey, I'll do something else. It wouldn't be that important to me, and it's more fun and more interesting for me to try and learn a language, personally. So I, I think it'd be kind of sad. And does that mean nobody would ever speak any different languages? Like, if everybody had a universal translator. We'd all, always be, you know, nobody would ever learn any other language. I don't know. I just, it's weird to me. The whole thing is weird. And actually, their website creeps me out as well. <laughs> it, it may be like the wave of the future, but it looks like, it, to, when I, it looked like a, like a, how do I put this? Like a, I've been playing Quantum Break and the, the company in it called Monarch solutions or whatever it is it seems it feels like that to me <laughs> i've probably gone off the deep end a little bit but it because it because it's a company that does, doesn't really quite exist yet it just seems like it's sort of a made up and kind of scary and it's gonna talk in your ear and like i don't know give you subliminal messages or something i don't know i so i i speak two languages fluently but i there's no way i could ever pick up a, a third language or at least it's been very difficult for me because i've tried but something like this, especially especially if you're traveling to a, a country that is so different or to a, an area, a region with a language so different that it, it becomes nearly impossible to communicate even with hand gestures, it, this, this is something that I think would be super handy, right? And, and, and it, I am cautious about it because it does seem like a, like a pie-in-the-sky kind of project and, and, you know, hopefully this guy's technology and, and the the speed in which it translates lives up to the hype of the, the, the actual trailer that he has, the video teaser. But anywho, again, a novel idea and certainly something that, that we should be keeping our eyes on because it could revolutionize how we interact with people, how we engage with others. Question. Mm -hmm. Do you think you'll be able to translate Klingon? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I wonder. Ooh. This has got to be piggybacking off of Google Translate. It has to be. Yeah, probably. And I wonder if I wonder if Google Translate does Klingon. Hmm. Well, now it's time to catch up on some Star Trek Online news. Well, wait a minute, though. Are we forgetting something? No? I kind of feel like we're forgetting something. We might be. 
Oh yeah, CBS released a teaser trailer for the upcoming 2017 TV series. You didn't think we were going to just skip over that, did ya? Did ya? Have you seen it? Well, if you haven't, be sure to visit our show notes because we embedded it right in there for you to watch. Now, this is just a teaser trailer. There's no actors, no faces, just a trailer of man boys. Recognizable Star Trek thematic music and fancy graphics from 2006. Oh, and a new logo, which people love or hate. Love to hate? I hate to love. I don't. It's it's got mixed reviews. So, Kenna, what did you think about the teaser? Ah, uh, well, <laughs> there isn't an awful lot to it. I thought it seemed very cookie cutter. That's the only complaint I had, which was generic uh, trailer man voice, uh, generic spacey stuff, and a logo that looks more or less like previous logos, but just enough different to be different. Uh, so, eh. But, but, I need to watch it a couple more times, because if you follow Brian Fuller on Twitter, he said that you should watch out for the teaser trailer, because there are Easter eggs hidden inside, and there's quite a lot of speculation on what all the bits are. So there's like an exploded planet thing, and I think somebody was saying, is that Praxis? So I don't know. It's probably worth a rewatch. I made the joke that it's graphics from 2006 because I could have sworn what I was watching were the end credits to Superman Returns. So, I, I mean, you know, I, then I saw, I think, on... Um, on somebody's Facebook wall that we're talking about the colors, the different colors for new crew, new voyages, oh, yeah. new adventures. Yeah, hang on. And I, four colors. It very distinctly is four different colors. Yeah. So what's that about? It's always been three. Three colors. I mean, green and the green and the uh, the green was the one that stood out to me, and that could be Romulan. Maybe it's you know maybe it's a maybe it's about races, right? Because. Uh, you know, green was generally Romulan or Borg. Blue, I don't know what blue is. I figured Klingons. I don't know, or red. No, for red's Klingons. Blue's Federation. So, you know, I, I, I just can't imagine that there's really that much in terms of teasers uh, in this trailer. But, again, it, you know, I liked that they used the thematic Star Trek theme, right? The, the, the chords, those opening chords, uh, or notes, rather. It's just, you know, it's a teaser trailer. There's not what, what, what more is there to say about the teaser? Yeah, not much. It's it's they're working on stuff. And I don't hate the logo. I really don't. No, I don't, I don't hate, hate it the either. logo. It's it's very, you know, industrial, I guess, right? With it looked like an industrial piece of metal. Yeah, like metallic. As the chevron. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which reminded me a lot of the JJ chevron that was like the opening from the the first film, but yeah, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate the the teaser. It kind of got me a little pumped. Got me a little pumped. So that leads us to our second community question. What are your thoughts on the teaser trailer for the 2017 Star Trek series? Let us know in the comments section for this episode or on Facebook or Twitter. And now let's go and check out what's happening in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, it's been a couple of busy weeks in the land of Star Trek Online. Agents of Yesterday, the console launch. Now, Steve Ricosa, a.k.a. Salami Inferno, is here to talk about it with us in a few minutes. But first, Winters and I thought we'd better bring you up to speed on everything that's been going on in-game right now. So, first off, the Crystalline Cataclysm event is back on. 
As per usual, captains level 50 and up can play the daily Crystalline Cataclysm PvEQ to earn Crystal Shards. Save up 14 shards and you can trade them in for the new Crystalline Absorption Matrix console. Now, when activated, this new Universal console increases your energy damage resistance rating and shoots out an array of matter conversion beams. These are essentially extra anti-proton beam weapons on top of any other ship weapons, and they target up to three random enemies in a 180-degree arc in front of your ship. In addition, as you take more energy damage, it amplifies the damage that each matter conversion beam achieves. So for tanking ships, this console could be a great asset. It basically gives you three extra forward-facing anti-proton beams for a short time. But with a two-minute cooldown timer, it remains to be seen whether it will be something you'll want to give up another console for. In addition to the new console, the reward pack for this event also contains 50,000 dilithium ore, 500 fleet marks, and 250 reputation marks of your choice. As usual, after you've completed the main reward, you can continue to turn in one shard per day for another 2,000 dilithium, 50 fleet marks, and 30 reputation marks. Be sure to note that the rewards are per character unlocks, not account unlocks, so you'll have to complete it for all of your characters that you want the rewards for. Fortunately, the Crystalline Cataclysm is a short sharp queue and will be easy to grind out the dailies. The Crystalline Cataclysm event runs through the 9th of June. And following on straight after the Crystalline Cataclysm event is my favourite event of the year. It's the summer event on Ryza. We haven't had any details on what this year's event will entail, but there's sure to be dancing, sandcastles, hoverboards and jetpacks galore. And don't forget, maybe we'll get to find out what our buddy Quen has been up to in his new island shop. Looking a bit further ahead, in a blog detailing some frequently asked questions regarding Agents of Yesterday temporal packs, it was revealed that the new expansion will be launching in July, presumably following on from the end of the summer event. Well, we've had some details about the first couple of missions in Agents of Yesterday. The new Temporal Faction tutorial will be called The Torian Affair, and it sounds like a real throwback to the original series. There are also a few details on the first mission after the Temporal Agent tutorial. It's entitled Shadow of Cestus, where players will get to revisit the location of Captain Kirk's legendary duel with the Gorn. For those of you who absolutely cannot wait, both of these missions are now available on the Tribble Test server. Sadly, it's locked down for only Gold and Lifetime subscribers at the moment, so if you've been eyeing up one of those memberships, now is a good time to pick one up. For everyone else, however, you'll have to wait until Agents of Yesterday launches in July. Is there a lifetime sale on at the minute? I don't think so, no. Mm, okay. Doubt it. And finally, patch notes have been pretty light the last couple of weeks. It's almost like the Cryptic team have been working on something else. Hmm. Hmm. There were a couple of improvements to note this week. The FPS performance on the Ryza map has been improved. No details on what this fix entails, but it's been a long-standing complaint from many players that the Ryza map was more resource-heavy than others in the game, so this is great news in preparation for the upcoming event. They also resolved an issue where attempting to change costumes on the ground would fail on the first try, resulting in changing back to your default costume, and this is something that I've had problems with and which, frankly, was hampering my Space Barbie game. And a nice little quality of life change for ship collectors, the Switch Starship UI now sorts by ship name. There were also a handful of tweaks to how certain powers interact with one another. 
For the full details so you can see if your build is affected, we'll leave a link to the patch notes in the blog post for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO271. Now let's chat with Steve Precursor, a.k.a. Salami Inferno. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. And joining us for this episode of Priority One Podcast is the executive producer of Star Trek Online, Steve Salami Inferno Ricosa. Steve, thank you so much for joining us this episode. Thanks for having me back. You are jet lagged, maybe? No? Maybe a little bit, yeah. Just got back from FedCon. <laughs> How was that experience? It was fantastic. It was uh, it was an amazing convention. It was great seeing uh, uh, Star Trek fans out there. Everybody dressed up. A lot of passion, a lot of excitement on uh, in Germany over over Star Trek, and especially uh, the announcements we made recently. Did you meet a lot of uh, Star Trek Online fans, people who are existing players? Yeah, I did. It was actually really cool. There were tons, and they were really surprised to hear, I guess, because we just never told them that uh, Germany is our second biggest audience. You know, after the U.S., nice. they're the next biggest. They they are a significant portion of the uh, user base. Wow. Um, so they were happy to hear that, and made them even more excited to hear all of the uh, information we had. Oh, excellent. Yeah. That's exciting. All yeah. right, well, why don't we go ahead and uh, jump right in. Ken, why don't you take the first question? Sure. Well, we just wanted to start with the general sort of state of the game recap since the last expansion. So how has the game grown? Uh, we're talking since probably Delta Rising now. And what exciting trends have you noticed from the player base? And what are you looking forward to uh, for this next expansion? So the uh, with Delta Rising, we introduced a lot, a lot of uh, additional endgame stuff. So we saw uh, we see more players kind of engaging in reps and queues and and putting in more time to finish out their specs and things like that. It was a pretty it was a pretty game changing experience for us. Mm-hmm. And so with those changes, we we kind of wanted to push the game in that same direction of uh, more end game stuff to do. So more specializations, more reputations. And then moving on to things like ending the war and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been at the helm of Star Trek Online for quite some time now. So, you know, what would you say is your proudest accomplishment there? I would say closing out the Iconian War. It was kind of, uh, we went back and forth and it was kind of my call to uh, make it a sort of 10 week or 10 month episode a month sort of affair to really do justice to a storyline that we've been building for five years. Pulling that together and closing it out in a way that you guys will come to learn um, also allows us to do the TOS uh, Agents of Yesterday expansion. Mm -hmm. So that way we know we wanted to end the war. We know we wanted to have a 50th anniversary expansion. So uh, we wanted to end the war in a way that made time travel ubiquitous. So that way we could have Agents of Yesterday. So it was kind of did double duty. I think we had an incredibly satisfying conclusion to the Iconian arc and it definitely set us up for for what's coming this summer. So where Stahl was focused on launch and, and content and D'Angelo about you know quality of life improvements, what would you say is your theme at the helm of Star Trek Online? Um, I like to I like to experiment, like the you know bringing doing the monthly uh, the monthly episode for the Iconian arc, trying out different things on the system side, trying out different layouts for for content, for systems, for um, even for monetization things that are kind of behind the scenes. Um, I, I feel like I want to um, experiment a little bit more, play it safe in some ways, but then take some risks in other ways. And uh, you'll kind of see that moving forward. I kind of 
with Agents of Yesterday, once everything is out there and everyone's playing it, you'll see I kind of went with a different a different layout than we've done for a, for a starting experience faction, a uh, new player experience. And yeah, just, just generally uh, wanting to experiment to see if uh, new things uh, are appreciated by the community and if, if they are, continuing to do that moving forward. I was going to say, if I can put you on the spot, what would you say was the riskiest thing you did that you were really nervous about and ended up being a grand success? Is there anything is, specific you can think of? This is going to be really funny because it has nothing to do with the game. Um, communi- <laughs> communicating more, frankly, with the community. I feel like being more out there, being more involved, being a little more transparent, you know, talking about the team on Twitter, posting on Reddit, posting on the boards, and just whenever there's a mistake that gets pretty big, coming out and copping to it and apologizing, I feel like that sort of candid nature of the community is what I like to do with the team internally, and I think has done really well with the community at large. I remember very clearly that I was I was EP for less than a week, and I don't know if anyone remembers, there was this, uh, the Delithium event incident, and there was a... Uh, something wrong with the blog compared to how the event went and it was this big deal and I had to write this I did this big write up for everyone to to apologize and explain what was going on and I think that that um, helps set the tone for what I feel like is important um, we, we build a game not just for you guys but with you guys and so I need to make sure that I hold myself accountable when things don't go don't go right especially in, in your opinion mm-hmm. I mean I do think I've noticed that uh, in the last, definitely in the last year, the ability of the community to interact with the developers over at Cryptic is great because it makes us feel as though we're in touch and also gets us a little bit of insight into what's going on on your end of things, where the game's going, what's happening behind the scenes. And like you said, when something goes a little wrong, it makes us feel as though we have some input into helping it get better. So I, I definitely can understand that. Yeah. I, I feel like it makes it a little more genuine. Like I'm not just showing up to celebrate you know, our wins, like, oh my goodness, they really love the episode episode midnight but i'm also there like yeah sorry that thing didn't go as well as we wanted we'll work on it next time we'll fix it and here's a make good i think i think that was i think that's been my biggest my biggest accomplishment well we should switch and talk a little bit about well the the big announcements that have come up so you told us that at fedcon your two big announcements really were about agents of yesterday and about the move to the console and we talked to maria uh last week uh zeronius rex and one of the questions that we weren't really able to get into was about the community again like we were just saying the pc and the consoles will be on two different servers we already know that do you have any plans to be able to bridge the gap between those two communities to bring them together well everyone will have similar content similar events Mm. Um, it's almost like you know you're being a fed and they're being a klingon where you're playing the same game and you can talk about it with each other, but you're not necessarily playing together. Right. I feel like there wouldn't be a separate subreddit, for example, mm-hmm. or separate boards. Everyone's just coming together as someone that's knowledgeable of the game. Because the experience isn't going to be appreciably different, except for how you're interacting with the game through a controller or a keyboard. Mm-hmm. Now, you, I, I'm going to harp a little bit on something that you just said, because I know our, our listeners are going to. You said similar content. What do you mean by that? What do you mean? What what will be the difference in terms of content between the PC and the console games? Well, we had to, in order to get a build into certification and through Microsoft and Sony, uh, we had to pick a cutoff point and uh, some cutoff features that would or would not make it for launch. Um, but in a reasonable period of time, the games will be functionally identical. But again, differences in UI, differences in uh, controller input will be the would be the main differences in the long run for the game. And continuing on the discussion of community engagement, we've had chats with Howard Vera about ways in which cues could be made to be more enticing for players to participate in, other other less played cues. Currently, some get played ad nauseum over and over again, some for 
you know the um, the DPS rankings and whatnot. And one example that we brainstormed with him was a cycle of bonus rewards. For instance, have have you and the team determined what might be the best approach to entice players to explore other queues more frequently, either yeah, for the PC and the and the console? That's the uh, the idea you guys talked about is one we've talked about internally, and that's the one I personally like the most. Internally, we've called it Q's Days, like with Tuesdays. But I really hope we, that sticks. Right. Please make that stick. <laughs> yeah, but we could, you know, we've talked about having a Q of the week that has bonus rewards. Um, we've even said we have so many Q's, we could do a different Q every day with bonus rewards for two months without repeating one. Jeez. So as a way to have people play something they might not normally play, but the rewards are so good, yeah, you're going to play it today. And it's, hey, you know, it's been a long time since I played it. That was pretty good. I'm glad I played it today, and tomorrow it'll be something different. Yeah. Is there any idea when you hope to launch that? Do you have a? We always have a bunch of uh, items on our schedule, so it's all about when we plan our upcoming releases, uh, what we can slot into where. Got it. Okay, so while we're talking about queues, and obviously there are a lot of queues in the PC version of the game at the moment, is the console version of Star Trek Online going to launch with all the existing content? And you kind of alluded that it might not. So we've got a lot of queues. We're talking PVE queues. Uh, a lot of specializations, admiralty campaigns, reputation systems, crafting. Is all of that going to be in as part of the console when it launches? Uh, I'm not going to get into specific features, but uh, the game will not have every single feature that uh, PC has at launch. Okay. Uh, but we have a, a roadmap to get everything in there in the uh, in the relatively near future post-launch. Okay, so the intention is is that they you will get all of that stuff. Some of it might not make it into launch. Correct, but eventually everything will be will be in there, and then they'll be getting updates, you know, as they come to PC. Mm-hmm. And Maria explained to us too that that those certifications for Microsoft and Sony are, are quite uh, arduous, and uh, and not many. And we were discussing how not many. You're the third game that I'm a, I'm really aware of a high-profile game. That has decided to port from a PC MMO into a console MMO. So it's you know you guys are paving the way for for the future of MMOs. Absolutely, uh, it's something that Neverwinter, I believe, was the first to do it for con- for the console space, and they kind of were setting the tone. Um, so we're kind of happy to see the work they did, and we're kind of working uh, working together just so we can learn the lessons that they learned uh, moving forward. So in previous conversations, we had learned that PWE felt it was important to make the game technically available to as large an audience as possible for players that may not have a powerful computer. They didn't want to alienate those lower-end machines. We learned in the announcement that the game's UI and the graphics are being enhanced, lighting, for instance. Are these enhancements still in line with that objective? Uh, absolutely. So the um, currently, the UI updates are booked for uh, console only, and then... Uh, we'll see how the community reacts to them. Uh, they are optimized for a controller. So we found in some cases several of the UIs. For example, I'll just say the Q UI is like so much better. I think it would be an easy win to just pull that over to the PC. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had people uh, ask me in Germany if we were going to have this UI because they really didn't want to fly with the controller and they like their existing UI better for the HUD. So there's uh, there's some back and forth there where you might be able to pick and choose specific UIs to make it over. As far as the lighting updates that we've done that are really going to make the game look better, if you don't meet the requirements for that lighting, you'll just use the existing lighting that we have now. Um, so there should be no impact to the player base. 
So on the on the whole, the the new lighting engine is is heavier. It's more resource intensive than the old one. Obviously, it looks better, but you still should be able to play it if you can play the game now. You still should be able to play it in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a co- there's a cost to all the pretty, mm-hmm. uh, but if you don't if you don't have the equipment for it, it's no problem. You yeah. can still run it the exact way you've seen it now. Okay. We're gonna. Oh, you know what? Speaking of technology and looking pretty, are you have you guys tested the game in 3D anymore? Uh, I haven't. I know some people have been messing around with it in 3D, but I haven't. Uh, I haven't thrown on an Oculus or anything that someone's got around the office to try it. Oh man, uh... Oculus! That'd be amazing. That'd be fantastic. Speaking of new technologies, we learned that the team has had access to new technologies to help improve the visual qualities of the game. And as the years have progressed, you've had added more and more. Is there any other technologies that you've started tinkering with, and how might they affect the future of the gameplay? So the the lighting was the, a big company initiative for some time now to actually build out this technology and get it and getting working to the point where we could actually implement it into the game, um, and we're still actively implementing now for the uh, eventual console release. So I would say that's probably the biggest update. Um, we've made some we have some server side updates that we've been working on as well to kind of improve performance there. But for the near term, the the lighting updates are the big ones. Great. Okay, so this is kind of. We've had several new sort of wow factors in terms of new experiences for players over the years. Um, is the lighting the new wow factor, or have you got more coming out beyond that? Grappling hooks. We got you know. Awesome. I, I would I would say for for the near term, definitely the lighting is the wow factor. It's just every time we go over there and see another map or Earth space stock, like when they go through and finish their lighting pass on it, it just looks like a different game. Um, I've seen it, some of the screenshots, and they. It, it, it is it is remarkable the difference. Yeah, I mean not to make a lighting joke, but it's like night and day. And oh, uh, I think, yep, I think that's the uh, I think that's the awesome. You know, it's funny at my FedCon panel, the slide where I talked about our new lighting changes. I had a picture of the uh, four lights with the Cardassian there. I, I thought it was I thought it was funny. Dude, you totally ruined me right now because I was gonna try and get you to say that. Yeah. And now you've blown it for me. I've ruined it. Dang. Sorry. <laughs> How many lights was that again? <laughs> You know, I could have swore I saw five. Oh, right. Okay. Are you sure? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the content of the console, because I know one thing that a lot of players are slightly concerned about if they are already bought into the PC version of things and thinking about switching over is how... DLC, downloadable content, or paid content is going to work on the console versus the PC. So are people who already have DLC for the PC going to get any kind of benefit, or will they be able to transfer anything over onto the console, or is it going to be completely separate? Currently, everything is completely separate. Okay. We were talking with Maria. You know, it's it's amazing that now Microsoft is you know, thrown the idea out there that they want to play nicely with the other servers from the other consoles. So it's nice to know that, that, you know, that's in the works, right? And that perhaps one day Star Trek Online will be on one server to rule them all. It could be possible. It would be pretty exciting. Yeah. I mean, in general, it means good things for everyone on every platform, right? We have more platforms out there. We have more players. And so we're we're able to do more things for everybody. So it's not like PC gamers are going to be missing out on anything if they continue to play on the PC. So, you know, right now everything is separate. Is there any incentive for PC players to try the game in on, on the console version? You know, we have people asking about, you know, lifetime subscribers, golden lifetime, um, any additional perks, something like that? No, the, account, the accounts will all be separate. Um, okay. But it's still free on every platform, so you can still... Uh, 
you can still play around and uh, and try it out and see if you like it on those on those new consoles. Now you said free. The game will be free, but will it? It'll still require an Xbox Live and PlayStation Network subscription to play. Currently not announcing the requirements for uh, okay. for Xbox and PlayStation on that front. Okay. okay. We talked a little bit about incentives for people who currently play PC to switch over to console. Um, we also, I presume that one of the reasons that we're going to console is to to attract some new players as well. But can you tell me? What do you hope to get? Like, what do you hope to gain from this new version's launching? Just uh, uh, an even larger, more vibrant, more passionate Star Trek community. Having that many more people playing the game means that we can just do that much more and have, you know, large, exciting releases throughout the year to keep everyone engaged. So I'm just hoping that we get some really excited Xbox and uh, PlayStation players. I don't mean to put you on the spot here again. Have you had any absolutely new players to the game test out the console experience? And, and if so, has there been reaction? Has there has their experience been easy to pick up a controller and start playing? We haven't brought in any brand new raw people. Um, you may have seen I tweeted yesterday. I was uh, play testing our latest iteration of the control scheme. Saw that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I even I made some recommendations for tweaks. And I my software my software lead for the console project is uh, implementing them today, mm. so we can try out the changes I want to make. So we're still tweaking on them. I'd say we're probably like 85 or 90 percent there. Um, I would say though. Um, some of, we've had some you know new hires coming in all the time. So I've had uh, some people that have played on the PC a little bit, have them try out our new control scheme on consoles, and uh, many of them prefer it. They're like, I don't want to go oh. back to the keyboard. I like just flying around and being able to shoot. And we've done a lot to streamline it. And something that I mentioned in my FedCon panel is that before we even said this project is a go, we needed to have a prototype for the control scheme. We had to prove that the control scheme would work because if we couldn't get those 72 button keyboard to work on a 12 button controller, we might not even start, right? We might as well not even begin. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time working on it, iterating it on paper, you know, faking it in game. And we're like, once we spent a few weeks on it, we are like, wow, this is actually really playable and really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when we decided to uh, move forward with it in earnest. Um, so it's been something we've been we've been messing with for uh, quite a while now. So the the big question that I want to know, I'm sure a lot of people want to know, will all of the current powers be available, or is it going to be is it going to end up being a subset? So you know that some of the maybe more obscure boff powers won't just won't be in the console version, or is it going to be everything's going to be there? You just have to manage how you play it. It's the same game. Everything will be there. You just have to manage how you play it. And what we're doing is to make sure that management of those powers and console powers and passives and actives and everything is as simple and straightforward as possible. Okay. That'll be interesting. It's, it's interesting <laughs> because, I, you know, the, the one player, I, I gave him a shout out last week too, uh, our science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt, plays the game existingly on a controller. And, you know, he jokes about how, you know, complicated the, the macros and have been to, to program the controller to, like you said, play a 72-button game, you know, on a, on a controller. So I'm, I'm really interested in seeing... Uh, how the UI plays out on the console. Um, yeah, because I'll tell you, when we first, someone first floated when, you know, D'Angelo, he's a CEO, the previous EP, said, hey, we're, we're probably going to, we're thinking about doing Star Trek on, on console. I said, there's no way. That wouldn't work. Right, right. Yeah. so many powers. Uh, and so we're like, no, we get, let's, let's try it out. So we tried it out, and yeah, it, it feels good. It feels good. Yeah. What about ground combat? I know we you, you teased us a little bit about space, and, you know, we saw that reticle there. How... How different will the experience be on the ground? 
Uh, so the ground combat will be uh, shooter mode only. There won't be the third person tactical mode that we've yeah. talked about. Yeah. And then it'll use a similar radial menus to run through all the all the ground stuff, all the ground powers. Yeah. So, okay, hang on a minute, because Elijah did mention very briefly the targeting reticle in space. This is something that I noticed from one of the screenshots that I saw. There's a reticle in space, which we don't currently have. So what what's what's that all about? Well, you don't have a mouse, so you need some way to select your targets. Right, so, I see. So uh, you've got your uh, you've got your targeting reticle to quickly thumb through and select targets, and you know, in some cases, lock onto targets so you could handle uh, firing on them. Okay. Uh, Slightly different gameplay than what we're what we're normally what we're used to with the with the mouse point and click. It is it is slightly different, but it uh, it still feels it still feels pretty good. It still feels pretty good. I've been I've been trying all different ship types because I'm generally a, an escort guy and it feels really good with escorts. Uh, but I've been playing with cruisers just to kind of get a feel for it, and it still feels good with cruisers. You know, getting that broadside, turning in to fire your torpedoes and and any other your deflector-based uh, weapons that have that narrow 45-degree cone. Okay. Uh, it feels good. Okay, so big question for me as a console player: Is there going to be any kind of open beta that we can participate in to try to get a feel for it and test it out? Possibly. Okay. I'm just going to play it KG, though. Oh. <laughs> okay. That was not a no. <laughs> that was not a no. Okay, but it also wasn't a yes. Okay. Now, is it hard? Is it difficult to port back and forth? So, for instance, you know, you mentioned the lighting's coming out on for the consoles first and then, you know, bringing it to PC. Is it generally a, a, a heavy task to switch back and forth like that? What do you mean? Like, like, like for instance, like the, the lighting, you know, you said that the lighting was will come out for console, right? When you want to import or bring back something like the lighting or the UI, if the UI makes it over back to the PC, is that is that arduous? Is that very difficult to do? No, not at all. Everything is developed on the PC. We're working on the console in the exact same, you know, in the exact same data structure, just in a future branch. So Star Trek PC will eventually catch up to the changes that they made um, with our revision history, you know, with our data and code changes, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll just have it. So we don't have to do the work twice. We do the work once and we catch up to it. Okay. Yeah. So this will not be an Arkham Asylum. N- no. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so we talked about you've just been at FedCon. I know that the community manager, Laughing Trendy, was at PAX East a while back. It sounds like you guys are doing a bit of the convention circuit. Uh, is there any news updates that you can tell us about some other conventions that you're going to be this year? Some other events? There's actually a pile of events we're going to be at this year. I don't have my marketing team with me, so I don't know if they want me to announce them yet, oh. so I'm not going to. But I'll go we on. Have... It's fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> but, but there's... Uh... Yeah, we're going to be going to far more events than we have in the past over the next uh, over the next stretch before the console releases. So um, I can't confirm you'll definitely see us at STLV, uh, but there's definitely many more events we'll be at before and after that. Okay, so we'll have to keep our eyes peeled. Yep. Well, I hope to see you at Star Trek Missions New York. Yeah, I hope so too. That's a big one. That's a really biggie. Okay, so... Before we kind of sign off, we finished talking about the really big stories, but we had a couple of bonus questions to ask you that are just about uh, burning topics going on in the community at the moment. Um, Number one, so we've got the Crystalline Catastrophe event going on at the moment. Can you explain Mm. why the rewards for that are not an account unlock, that they're per character only? We've, We've heard the community after we did it for the uh, event ships, for the summer winter event ships. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's something that we've been we've been figuring out a way to do okay. uh, in a way that makes sense. Okay. So it's just something we haven't uh, come up with a solid solution for yet, but it is something we're thinking about. Okay. 
Fine. And, and another question that um, has popped up a few times, some from our listeners, and we've seen the question from another, a couple more places. We've really been enjoying all of the fiction blogs that have come out, especially um, the last several where we've been dealing with the, the Nakul temporal agents going back through periods of history. Isn't that a cool blog series? Uh, oh, it's so good. It, I mean, yeah. it's really sort of picked up the pace ever since sort of about... I started noticing the blogs about halfway through the Iconian War arc, and since then they have just been fantastic and really a must-read every time they come out. Yeah. I think a lot of people would like to see them archived in the game somewhere so that we have some access to that. Is there any yeah. possibility of doing that? Have you considered it? We have considered it. Um, it came up during the Iconian War we were doing. We called them Tales of the War blogs. Mm -hmm. And I would say that's something else, uh, even though, again, it's out of the game. That's something else that I was really proud of is the coming up with the... We've done fiction blogs before but doing them with serious regularity yeah. and using them as ways to carry the story in between uh, featured episodes yeah. um, was something I was pushing for so I really like Tales of the War and I got I love time travel stories so I got really excited by the um, concept of the the Nicole and history yeah. blogs I mean the Jack the Ripper one that just came out was so oh, cool oh I know I read that one it was a bit it was a bit gory it was it was but it was it was really cool <laughs> yeah that was um that was by kate bankson wasn't it that one it was it was yeah, yeah. I, I i read it um the other day actually and i thought wow this is this is really different now from what we're used to seeing from star trek online it's it's a real change and more grown up and really fleshing out what's going on behind the scenes yeah, we've talked about a variety of ways to get them into the game from something as simple as there's just a place you can go read the logs to mm -hmm. as far as sending them to players as in-game mail yeah. um, to potentially, you know, after release, if you finish an episode um, in the journal, like whatever blogs came out in between the next episode and the one you just finished, then become available for you to read. So you can like read that story yeah. and then pick up the next inside episode. The game. Right, inside the game. Inside so if you're game. playing it after the fact. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually tend to like that in, in MMOs when they're, you know, they have an announcement window open up and it's a browser within the game. So it ends up almost sending you to the main homepage where you can read a lot of the news. And I know that Champions has, you know, a pretty big announcement whenever you log into the game. You know, there's a big window that pops up and it's very animated and very colorful for you to read what's been going on uh, since you've been away. Um, that'd be nice. That'd be really cool to see in Star Trek Online, especially on the console, right? Because, you know, as a console player, how often... You know, would you go to the website really? You know, yeah, that's uh, we definitely have a, a new UI that we're working on for console that uh, shows off everything that's going on from events to special promos to sales and things uh, on login. So that way, you're current on what's going on. You don't miss out on your Crystalline any event, or you don't miss out on uh, you know a double XP weekend. Hmm. It must be really different actually talking to a console player versus talking to a PC player because I think we kind of take for granted that a PC player is probably on another tab has got, you know, logging into the forums. You can switch over there if you're stuck on a mission or something like that. Um, but you don't really have that as much with console players. Have you found it's different to the way you talk to the players for the console version versus the PC version? Yeah, you know, not to out myself in the PC community, but I'm, a, I'm primarily a console gamer. So yeah. uh, I feel that that you know, I played PC games quite extensively, and it helped me, of course, get a job here at Cryptic in the first place. But in general, I am primarily a console player, and so that um, history and that knowledge is definitely coming into play now 
and it helps me make decisions uh, for the game and for the and for the port and everything that we're doing uh, with the control scheme for the game. Yeah. Uh, that that's something where Cryptic doesn't have a ton of console first people. Mm-hmm. Um, at least when we first started with Neverwinter, but we're we've been hiring more and more, so we're building that knowledge base internally, so that way we can make sure that uh, any console game we make now or moving forward um, is at the highest quality. Yeah, I I have to please please do Oculus Rift port the game to Oculus, please please. For, for for all of us here that would love that type of immersion, it would be that very would be cool. So beautiful, that would be so just. It would be beautiful. Literally, really, the word is beautiful, right? Because the game is beautiful. You know, the art team, the environment team, they do fantastic work. And to have that type of surround, oh man, that'd be fantastic. It would be but super awesome. I digress. Whilst we were doing this interview, the teaser was released for the. 2017 series that is coming out on CBS and CBS All Access. Did you get a while chance? I was, to see it by chance, while I was waiting for us to connect on Skype, I watched it. Yes. <laughs> so I, I have to ask before I let you go: Is there anything you can share about the relationship between Star Trek Online and the new series coming out in 2017? We have been in talks with CBS about how we could support them, and it seems like they're um, they're interested in um, in working with us. Uh, I don't have any details yet, but I'm hoping uh, hoping soon. And uh, our goal is to integrate the new show with the game however we can. But CBS is on board, so it, uh, it shouldn't be too tough to get some of the new cool stuff into the game. And lastly, to put you on the hot seat, what can you tell us about the discovery on Tribble of the one character that was also in the JJ-verse movie, the the android-looking character. Lieutenant 0718. Yeah, it seems like somebody accidentally dropped some red matter on our servers. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. All right. yeah. Are we going to yeah. need to start well, an Easter egg hunt? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That, that that might be uh, that might be something people are already doing. Yeah, probably. If you look if you look in certain communities. Mm. Yeah. So, Steve, this is the part of the show where we kind of leave it open to you. Is there anything we didn't talk about that that you've been itching to discuss with the community? Well, there's so much more I want to talk about with console that I can't talk about yet. And yeah. uh, agency yesterday as well, right? It's on Tribble for uh, gold players to play. Tutorials out there. The first episodes out there. We've got updates pr- set to drop every week. Uh, we're gonna put a lot of that expansion out there for for people to play so you can make sure it's as clean as possible when it drops. Can I just Um, ask you about that, actually? Because it's on Tribble at the moment, but it's only available to Gold and Lifetime members. Why is that? And why can't I get on? (laughs) I think you can't get on because you're not a Gold or Lifetime. I'm not. I'm not. I'm totally free to play. Um, Why is is that the case that that you have to be a subscriber in order to get onto it at this point? And will it be released for um, other free-to-play? So we want to keep it slightly more narrow. We've had had issues in the past where where the test shard becomes the place that people want to play instead of the live shard because that's where all the coolest stuff is. Um, So we can keep it tight by having it on, uh, having it for gold. We can still get plenty of people on there for testing. We have uh, an external testing group as well that's made up of the community, and they get us some excellent bugs. But eventually, it will be on. Uh, it will be available to everyone for for a time. Okay, awesome. Excellent. Well, Steve, thank you so much for stopping by and chatting with us here on Priority One Podcast. We hope that uh, as more announcements come out, and perhaps even after the launch of Agents of Yesterday and in console, you'll come back on and talk to us about the the awesome successes of both, uh, and perhaps whatever is coming down the pike in the future. 
Yeah, anytime. This was my first interview ever uh, way back in the day when I was a young producer. So, uh, yeah, I'm always happy to come on. Thank you. Well, take care. Thank you. All right, you too. And now over to our science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt, for another report from the Astrometrics Lab. On the bridge of the Enterprise, measuring the scientific properties of a nearby nebula or star-forming region is as simple as the captain ordering the sensors to take a look at it. In the real world that astronomers live in, we don't have semi-magical devices that can measure any arbitrary property of nature that we can think of. We do have incredibly powerful telescopes that operate across the spectrum of light, both on the ground and in space, but those are being pushed to the limits and beyond of what they were really designed to study. On this week's Astrometrics Report, we're going to learn how astronomers have been able to precisely measure the size of a protoplanetary disk surrounding a young star over 400 light years away using a unique twist on a technique that's so simple we use it subconsciously every day. Imagine for a moment you're blindfolded and you're being led through a building out of one room and into another adjacent room. Without even thinking about it, you would instinctively know that this room you're standing in now is much larger than the one that you just left. How? It's the echoes. In the smaller room, the echoes are shorter because the sound has less distance to cover before it bounces off the wall and returns to your ears. In the larger room, there's more of a delay in the echo because of the increased distance the sound is traveling. If you could precisely time the delay in the echo, together with the speed of sound, you could actually calculate the size of the room without ever opening your eyes. Astronomers can use the same kind of technique to measure the sizes of objects that are far too distant and tiny to ever be resolved by the telescope directly. But since sound can't travel in space, astronomers instead have to look for light echoes. In a recent study published in the Astrophysical Journal, astronomers were studying a baby star known as YLW-16b, which lies about 400 light-years away from the Earth. At an age of a mere 1 million years, this baby star is roughly equivalent to a human infant only a week or two old. Like a young human baby, it still has a lot of growing to do. The star is surrounded by a swirling thick cloud of dust and gas that is slowly being deposited on the star, increasing its size, and will likely be the source material for the formation of a planetary system as well. We still have a lot to learn about how baby stars can grow, sweeping up material from the surrounding disk along their magnetic fields. This kind of process ought to leave a gap in the disk, and knowing the size of that gap will help us better understand the processes of star growth and planet formation. The feeding process for a young star is very irregular and it causes their light to fluctuate dramatically over the course of hours and days. These brightness variations are essentially like a voice in the empty room, providing a source for the light echo. Some of the light from the star heads directly towards Earth to be picked up by our telescopes, while light heading out in the other direction will first have to travel through the gap, reaching the wall of dust. The fluctuating light signal will warm the dust causing it to re-radiate the light back towards us at longer infrared wavelengths. On Earth, astronomers mounted a coordinated campaign to monitor the shorter infrared wavelengths of light from the star using telescopes that were in the United States, Mexico, and Chile. 
In space, astronomers used NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope to monitor the longer infrared wavelengths of light coming from the dust. Carefully comparing the two signals, astronomers found that the light from the dust lagged the light from the star by around 74 seconds. Taking into account the speed of light, this told astronomers that the gap in the dust ring was only around one quarter the size of Mercury's orbit, or a mere 8% the size of Earth's orbit. This is pleasantly consistent with theoretical expectations of what size of a region the star's magnetic fields ought to be clearing out. Now that astronomers know this technique works, they can apply it to many other baby stars around the sky, and really help us better understand these youngest stages of star formation. It's worth noting that this technique, which is also known as photoreverberation, has been used for many years to study the size of disks around supermassive black holes that reside at the centers of distant galaxies. For those objects, the delays actually represent days to weeks of time. Personally, I think it's kind of amazing they've taken that technique and applied it to light echo delays that are shorter than the introduction to this astrometrics report. Well, that wraps it up for this week. Back to you guys. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Last week's community question was... What was your first reaction to the news that Star Trek Online was porting over to consoles? Will you be downloading it when it launches? Gavin Runeblade commented on PriorityOnePodcast.com. My thought about the console is that if the console players aren't on the same server and using the same accounts as PC players, then the console version might as well not exist as far as I'm concerned. STO's single server and unified chat across all cryptic games is a big reason I love STO. Community is critical to me. Which I think is a, is a common comment that a lot of people have said that having a divided community will probably make them not switch from PC. Right, right. You know, I really think that this is this is not geared towards the existing players. You know, this is geared to- more towards new blood, right? Or people that, you know, are ca- very casual gamers, like family gamers or whatnot. Uh, you know, people who have an Xbox um, because they like to... Or PS4 because it's their media hub, right? Where they can watch Netflix and all that jazz and they happen to have a family who plays some games and whatnot more so than the existing player base, right? One of the only attractive things about this for me is the controller, right? I like the idea of the UI, or I'm sorry, the controller layout being updated because I I do, I I have wanted to sit back and play the game on on my big screen television, but that's, it's hard to do on a keyboard. It really is to be able to relax on your sofa and, and play the game is is a bit cumbersome when you have a keyboard and a mouse and, and you're trying to play. I've tried. It's really so difficult. So have I, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really it's difficult. Not, yeah, it's not, it's not. It's not It's not. a fun experience, right? It's not leisurely. If the controller setup is as good as... If the console is as intuitive and as easy to use and adapt to as Maria and, um, and Steven have shared with us, then... Then this might be that opportunity for me to just be able to kick back, relax, and you know, play while I'm, you know, on the sofa. Ragul's FF7 wrote in no cross-platform. Don't think many would make the jump. Maybe just create a tune or two to check out the controls and UI, etc. Yeah, again, I, you know, it's it's 
I think, you know, we're, a lot of us are already established on the PC version, and I don't think we're going to, to make that, that jump. And honestly, I'm still going to play on the PC. I just want the UI controls. I want those in my hands sooner rather than later. Because I have, my, I have a desktop server connected to my television. So that's what I want. I, you know, it's, I'm not even going to play with the, through the Xbox. I just want those UI controls, like those UI updates in my hands already. Well, Marques makes another good point, and he says, I prefer STO on PC since I can switch to my Fleets forum, Reddit, STO Academy builds, or the STO wiki, and back to Holodeck slash Tribble. This is a big part of my overall STO experience. So uh, I, I agree with that. I think a lot of PC players, I personally always have the browser open, uh, Googling whatever. It, which you it, it's harder to do on the console. You still can. You can just get stuff up on on your phone or whatever. But yeah, that's a that's a big Funny feature. Is being able you to you should mention phone because golly, I wish the resources were put into a mobile app. Just saying. Just saying. I think you should keep dreaming. Uh, no. <laughs> Maybe one day. Admiral Tuvix of the P1 fleet wrote. I own a PS4, and I will surely check it out. I also rely heavily on a controller in the PC version, so I'm looking forward to even more controller-friendly UI and a simpler keybind system being ported to the PC version. But, you know, there's already the simplest keybind ever, which is just bind everything to spacebar. That is truth. Mm. Oh, I gotta redo my bindings. <laughs> I'll copy you over one. No, it's I have it. It's just... I. So I logged into the game, and first of all, the skill tree is not intuitive. It's not. It took me a little while. It took me a little while. It took it took help from money bags to point me over to the Germans um, and their their basic skill build, because so uh, admittedly, people know that I haven't played the game in quite some time. So last weekend, I I decided to log in and and just kind of get a. a glimpse of what was going on and I have I have a I I have my problems with the skill the skill tree I do you know why because it's it's it doesn't feel like it's any different That's I'm gonna go on a tangent here I'm gonna go on a tangent here and I think it's worth it <laughs> okay go on tangent so tangent during feedback sorry guys so in, in, a, in a generally in most MMOs when you're a lobby Right. No matter who, no matter what you decide you want to be, whether it's tactic, you know, whether it's a, a tank, a healer, a mage, whatever. An elf huntress with long, flowing blonde hair and a gigantic long bow and like cool pointy shoes. Yeah. Or that. On. Or that. Yeah. You can pick. You know, you get your first point and you pick one of two powers. Then you pick that one power, and then the next one, you then that branches. And you pick one of the next power, right? And, and it, it branches down from, from two powers at the top or at the, at the very beginning and then branches all the way down and you can you, – you pick – you go in a direction of the branching, right? You don't – now, this is built similarly but not really, right? Because now instead of putting nine points in one thing – you know, or seven points in one thing and then six points in another and blah, blah, blah. Now you pick the one and then you, you, you branch down the tree. Now, albeit, that's very e- that's mu- it's much easier than it was before, the, the seven points in one skill and whatnot. But it was not, in- it was not intuitive for me because I felt like, I, I felt like 
it was in fact very much like the old one, except now instead of having to worry about seven points or nine points, I was just choosing the one. But there's just so much, right? That I, 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 I still have to. You still have to read what the point is and and or what the the skill is and and what it does for you. You really have to think about it, right? And and I'm already at end game, right? And I don't I. I have to now. I'm going through everything, and I'm trying to make the right decision. And it's not. It, it's it's. This is e- probably easier if I were to have started from scratch, right? You know, because you only get one point at a time, right? You, that's it. But if it, if it had not been for the 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 Germans build the existing build and their 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 platform, their foundation, I don't I don't know what I would have done. I, I it would have driven me absolutely insane, because. It doesn't flow like like the traditional MMO, right? It didn't flow that, you know, you have your one power in the beginning and then that branches and you pick one power from the next branch, similarly to how the um, captain's powers work. The command, the, what are those called? Jeez. Specialization. The specialization. Those are, that works, that works like a traditional skill tree from other MMOs. You pick one and, you know, that's it. You, You can't pick the other one. You know, and it branches out to the next one. So I, you know, again, I it, it, I don't think that there was there there wasn't enough tutorial for this skill tree, right? There really wasn't. There really wasn't even a uh, here's a recommendation build. That's what they should have done. They really should have done that. Here's a recommendation build for existing players. Here's so, you know something to consider. I don't know. I it just it, it was not easy for me. It really wasn't. It wasn't easy for me. Yeah, I know. I I understand, and it has stopped me on some of my alts that I haven't really played that much. I've and mostly I've leveled up through doffing, and I haven't really developed who I want them to be yet. Uh, I found that really difficult, and I found it hard to progress. I didn't really do anything with them for a couple of weeks because I knew that as soon as I logged in, I was going to have to spend like an hour trying to figure out what to put everything in. You know, I kind of like your idea of. Maybe there was a, an option that you could have just said, okay, yeah, go with the default until such time, and then you and then you get to change it once. So it doesn't stop you from playing. I don't know. Maybe that would have been nice. But I um, I disagree with, uh, with you a little bit because I, I think a, a lot of the... I mean, maybe I play more RPGs where it's a, a totally different skill system. Uh, so I didn't find this one particularly any different from... I mean, they're uniformly different if that makes sense it's just a a different set of choices but I do think it's much easier if you do it as you're progressing rather than trying to look at it from top down especially because the thing that I find most confusing about the skill tree and always did even in the old system is that you you don't have a set number that you have to use in each tier so you can actually use a minimum amount in each tier and then figure out where to put all of the other bits. And that's the piece that takes me forever. Because I put my, my five points in to get to the next level and I put my ten points in to get to the next level. And then at the end I'm left with, I don't remember how many, you're left with seven or eight points or something like that. And then you have to scatter them throughout. That bit takes forever for me. So I would have preferred that they just said, you have to spend... 10 points here, 10 points here, 10 points here, 10 points here, and then that would have been that would have been much easier. But, you know, I do think it's still an improvement on the last one. Definitely, it's something that 
they needed to do to, to be able to understand it on console because the way the old system was, you just wouldn't have been able to do on console. I mean, first of all, it was teensy. Trying to, if you ever tried to like click into those little rectangles, God, nah, <laughs> they were tiny. So yeah, no, I think on, on the net, it's good. I think people will get used to it. And for new players coming in, I think they'll find it fine. And finally, Mike says, I'll stick to my PC. I am not a console gamer. My son, on the other hand, is quite excited about getting back into the game and talking his friends into giving it a try. And yeah, I can understand that. And that's exactly what they're doing it for, isn't it? To, to get getting console gamers, people who already have consoles, to give it a try because it's free. There's a bit of a barrier to entry, I think, for the casual gamer. For if you have if you're a PC, right, a PC gamer, you're you're not really a casual gamer. You know, you that means that you have a pretty decent rig. You spent money in your on, into your rig that that sure is better than the than uh, the hardware that's in a console. So you're you're more than you're more than just a casual gamer, right? Consoles are much more accessible. They're much more accessible to families. They're much, and now that they're media hubs, it just opens the door. And I think that for a for a franchise like Star Trek, this opens the door to invite, you know, Trekkies who who you know might have played other Star Trek games. But didn't try Star Trek Online either because they hadn't heard of it or because they didn't have a PC powerful enough or they weren't comfortable with a keyboard and, and mouse, you know. It's unfortunate that we're going to be on different servers and we can't interact with these people, uh, not at least in the conventional MMO type of way. But it, it just means that this is more of an opportunity of, 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 having, of having Star Trek Online be the Star Trek game. Right, the go-to Star Trek game. This is the – you want to play Star Trek? You want to play a game at Star Trek? Star Trek Online is your option. Like that, that, That's it. Yeah, you know, I don't think the separate communities is going to be nearly as much of a problem as people think it is. Because you, you're likely... I'm not sure we've had exact details, but you're likely... We're going to have fleets on the console versions uh, where there will be communities on the console versions. And I can almost guarantee you there will be fleets that join up across the platforms. Because why wouldn't you... You you can you get more members. It's knowledge sharing. It's community, and in the same way now that you can have fleets who are cross faction fleets effectively. I mean, they're not, but they are. They just have a, a KDF division and a Federation division, but you know, and then they have their own forums or whatever. Then th- 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 we're going to do the same thing, I think. So I don't think it's going to be nearly as big of a problem as people think it will be. Well, that wraps up episode 271 of Priority One Podcast. But before we go, here's a reminder of this week's community questions. Should CBS and Paramount be able to claim copyright for the Klingon language? And what did you think about the new Star Trek TV series teaser? Captains, you know we love hearing from you, so leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com. You can also visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast or tweet us via at Priority One Pod. And if you're feeling adventurous, leave us a voicemail via SpeakPipe. It's free. Just click on the widget on our homepage. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. And if you're listening to us via iTunes, please leave us a review. 
More importantly, help spread the word about the show. Invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. And if you're listening to us via iTunes or Google Play, please leave us a review. More importantly, help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Covering the world of space sims including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many, many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. A very big thank you to Steve Ricosa, a.k.a. Salami Inferno, Star Trek Online's executive producer, for joining us on the show this week. Thanks to our graphic artists, Romulan Ale and Jason Smith. And if you enjoy our comics, the creator of our comic series, Jonathan Towery, can be commissioned at johntowery.com. Thanks to all our bloggers and their managing editor, L. To our writer and social media manager, Jake Morgan. To our video editor, Jerry Tillman. And to consultant Midnight Shadow 7 of Holosuite Media for supporting this show. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, Esmaria DePost, and Gavin Lawarn. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage. Available for download or streaming on Monday, May 23rd at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Kenna. And as always in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Winters. <sighs> hey everyone. Howdy, folks. <laughs> in a clip published last week on the BBC website... In a clip! <laughs> <laughs> <That was> awesome. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. It was like so like... <laughs> You sounded bunged up. <laughs> I do, I do. In a in a clip. Just wait till I have to say Midnight Shadow Seven. Jeez. Uh oh. I can't. I have a hard time saying midnight and at in you know on a normal day. <laughs> Something about the sound. I can't do it. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry, I had mango in my teeth. What? <laughs> Never eat a mango just before the show. The stuff gets really in your teeth. You know the pulp. Yeah. <laughs> That's hard. Why would you? Why, that, that was a. That was. No. <laughs> so you're bunged up with mango. I'm bunged up with mango. That's the problem. Is that like a. Like you have to educate me, Elijah. Is that like a performance rule? Never eat mango. Yeah, don't have. Don't have, don't have pulpy things. <laughs> I got pulp all in my teeth. I'll tell you what, though. It was a damn good mango. Whew. Anyway, perfectly ripe. You guys have mangoes in the UK? Oh, yeah, we got mangoes. 
They were they're so ripe at the minute. Like this one, like had needed to be eaten. Un mango. Me estoy comiendo un mango. Welcome to Prioridad Podcast, <laughs> donde comemos mangos. Okay. Hola. <laughs> I mean, never mind. Okay, we've diverted. We haven't even said the first sentence. In a clip. <laughs> Nick. In a clip. Published last week. <sighs> Stop it now. Okay. <sighs> <laughs> but I think that's just how I talk. <laughs> a little bit, but I mean that, that one was like really like you were squeezing in a clip. <laughs> okay, shut up. Okay. <sighs> Three, two, one. Okay. Like clenching. There's no. <laughs> there's no clenching over here. It's all relaxed. <sighs> in a clip, but I can't say it now. <laughs> I can't published. Oh, jeez, Louise. Ah. Did you do that? Do that yeah. one again? Because you were like, "Kikaraklam." <laughs> My tongue isn't working, or else it's swollen. Do a bit. Do the bit like this. It's right in my ear. It's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Like in, uh, like Laliari from uh, Off Galaxy Quest. <laughs> you know, because she, <laughs> she doesn't have a, because she doesn't have a translator or whatever it is. What? It's broken, isn't it? When they go down to the planet and she's like, oh, what, you don't say anything? And she's like, ah, la, 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 la. <laughs> That's right. It's in the car. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good exercise for your tongue. kind of warms you up. Oh, man. <laughs> that was so funny, that scene. She had this great big smile. Like, Wah! Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that was hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah, could you do that sentence again, please? Oh, man. I've got the smile that I can't get rid of. And now over to our science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt, for another... La, 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 la. <laughs> I just thought I'd do a song. La, la, la. Um, <laughs> la, 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 la. Um, and now over to our science advisor, advisor... It's my turn yeah. now. Not I, I can't get that image out of my mind if you want. I need to watch that movie again. Yeah. That that would be a good thing to do while you're feeling crap. Is pop on Netflix or Amazon or whatever it is and put your feet up. And what did you think about the new Star Trek TV series Tracer? Tracer. Tracer. That <laughs> was because I was gonna say trailer, but it isn't really a trailer. It's a teaser. So I switched. Out. It's a Tracer. That's my new word. You trademark that CBS and Paramount Tracer. <laughs> okay. Thanks to all our bloggers and their managing editor L, to our writer, writer, to our writer, 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 I made him out of Jake. <laughs> uh, I still think we should put in Jake of all trades. <laughs> yeah.